Hi, and thank you for joining us for the Compass Catholic Podcast. My name is Caitlin Kano. I'm joined by my co-host, Diana Rojas, as we meet every week to explore financial topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. On this podcast, we cover all aspects of money. We explore the spiritual, emotional, and economic aspects of our finances. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Hi everyone, as you may know, earlier this month on February 2nd, we celebrated the World Day for Consecrated Life. For that reason, we wanted to replay an interview we had with Ann Follen. Ann is the owner of AnnFollen.com and a board member for the Mater Ecclesiae Fund for Vocations. We played part one of this interview last week. And the second part of this interview, which we're playing today, We'll talk about the possible solutions to the student loan and vocation crisis. We hope you enjoy. Welcome, Anne. We're excited to talk to you again today. Thank you very much. Good to be here. We're so excited that you're back. And last week we had this really great conversation um, and we kind of left it a little bit on, I don't want to say a sour note, but we were talking about all the negative implications that student loan debt is having on vocations. And this week we wanted to shift tone and shift focus to the positive impact that um, people are having on this issue and, and the creative ways that um, as lady that we can serve and, and increase vocations and things that we can do to um, help this problem and not just let it be a problem and approach it in terms of um, a ministry and in terms of um, proactively helping those who are discerning vocations. So, Anne, can you tell us about the Mater Ecclesiae um, Fund for Vocations and um, what you guys are doing and kind of maybe the history of it and how you all got started? Sure, so the origin story of the Mater Ecclesiae Fund for Vocations is one of those, to my mind, illustrations of how some of the most hidden, um, powerful things in the life of the church happen seemingly by accident. Um, the, the couple who founded the Fund for Vocations are named Kath, Corey and Catherine Huber. Corey, is, the husband, is a computer programmer, and he was in the right place at the right time. He was living in Northern Virginia in the 1990s at the height of the Northern Virginia tech corridor um, internet boom, and he's got mad computer skills. So he was working for, he was, he was living that life. And um, he did very well at it. And he, at, he and Catherine were able to retire in a, a great amount of security at a relatively young age. And they also are very, very serious about their Catholic faith and very generous supporters of their, their parish church and of other Catholic causes. So one fine day, the pastor of their church came to them and said, hey, I know that you all um, you know, are generous givers, but here's the situation. I know this young man who has a vocation to religious life. He also is up against a ticking clock because the community that he, where he's been accepted, like a lot of religious communities, has an upper age limit for accepting people into formation. Mm. And he was just about to hit it. So the pastor of, of the church continued, if you, Corey and Catherine, could see your way clear to helping make his student loan problem go away, he could enter formation. And so they thought, 
you know, they, they obviously wanted to say yes, but then they thus ensued a whole series of consultations with tax experts and lawyers and accountants and all of this to see if the structure of the family foundation they had put together could permit them to take over this guy's student loans. And they were able to make that happen. The man entered and the story has the happy ending, except that, you know, Corey and Catherine being the people that they are, it begged the question, huh? So I wonder how big a problem this whole student loan debt constraining vocations thing really is. <laughs> Was this just this one guy or is this a bigger problem? Hmm. And as they discovered, the same story plays itself out over and over and over again all over the country. There are all of these faithful young men and women who are good to go except for this constraint of student loan, pay, of student loan debt. So again, with the phalanx of lawyers and accountants and tax experts and IRS people and all the rest of it, they figured out that the thing that made sense to do was to form the Fund for Vocations as its own separate 501c3 charitable entity, separate and apart from their family foundation that they already had, and then just get busy starting the process of expanding the program. So over time, they started um, with also with, you know, guidance from from experts in the various fields. They found the person who runs the direct mail program for a lot of the most successful fundraising um, enterprises in the Catholic world. And they hired that guy to get them started on direct mail. Mm -hmm. They've had a couple of experiments with major gift fundraising and um, with grant writing for big grants from foundations with varying degrees of success um, in the different endeavors. The direct mail um, operation has been a long-term solid success. And oh. so we thought, well, maybe that means that the Holy Spirit wants us to be a, a, a grassroots, non-well-heeled, non-major gift thing. I'm, you know, we don't know if that's true or not. We, what we do know is that we don't know thing one about major gift fundraising or about grant raising. And Corey and Catherine would be, and indeed are, the first person, to, the first people to say, we're not business executives. We're not much less fundraising professionals. So drum roll, please. Uh, we're now at the biggest crossroads, I would say, in the life of the Fund for Vocations, which for the 15 years since its founding, has been the personal apostolate of Corey and Catherine Huber. In March, we hired the first ever ex professional executive director. She's a veteran of Relevant Radio. She has deep, long experience, even before Relevant Radio, in fundraising and nonprofit management for Catholic organizations. And she's fantastic. So we really feel like, um, thanks be to God, we found the right leadership to take the Fund for Vocations to the next level. So that's, that's thing. Yeah, so that's that's um, you know by by happy accident and you know really just just faithfulness the fund for vocations has made it to where it is today. Our our founder at Compass Catholic calls them um God incidences. Yes. <laughs> when those things happen <laughs> because you know it's more than just a coincidence. There's well, it's, there's usually some kind of spiritual emotion that goes to it. So we, we always attributed that. Well, and there's also, you know, um, somebody having the courage and the humility to ask mm -hmm. and somebody else having the mm -hmm. humility and the faithfulness to say yes. Yep. I think, you know, it's a gross oversimplification. Mm -hmm. That's the life of grace. Yeah, that's a, that's an awesome story you told us. And it seems like you guys really started from, like you said, just something so simple and it's grown to something that's been very beneficial for many people. 
And it leads me to wonder, you mentioned it's been about 15 years since you guys have had the fun vocations. Sure. Well, it depends on where you start counting. Um, it was 15 years ago that um, the pastor said, hey, by any chance? Um, and then the formal incorporation was a couple of years after that. All right. So let's say roughly 15 years. I'm wondering, like, how many aspirants have you guys been able to... Uh, to help throughout the, throughout the time of that 15 years or so uh, with the fund for vocations? More than 200, um, 232 to be precise. And wow. Uh, yeah, and if you think about like what business people call the multiplier effect, I hate to put it in those kinds of quantified terms, but if you think about every vocation for the active sisters, all the children that, th that those 230, all the children that they will have taught, all of yeah. the ill or elderly people, um, they will have healed, um, cheered, supported, abided with, all of the prayers that have been offered, all of the masses that have been celebrated, all of the souls that have been touched by those 232 vocations, it's really quite staggering. Um, I, and I think it was, um, I can't remember which one, but one of our grant recipient said, I promise you that my vocation will bear fruit a thousandfold, mm -hmm. 10,000 fold down the generations. So multiply that by how many grant recipients we will have supported. And um, this sounds horribly pretentious. <laughs> I'm sorry for that, but it does change the course of eternity. You just, you don't, it's not given to us to understand exactly how, but I, I, I'm staking my life on it. I believed all the way down to my soul that the vocations that we're supporting change the mystical body of Christ, change eternity. That's awesome. That's so many people. And I, I don't think that sounds any way at all. I think that's very true. Um, I just related to being a teacher and exactly. the amount of students that I've had, like I can't imagine what impact I might have on, if I have an impact on 10 students a year times all the years I've been teaching, that's the same thing. If you imagine all those 200 plus you know, religious having an impact, that's, that's enough to change the world, you know, like, it that's, is, that's it is, super it is. Awesome. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Well, go fun for vocation. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So, oh, Anne, what is the application process like for an aspirant? Because I'm assuming that the type of person who's drawn to the religious life is, is a giver and someone who lives on the giving side of the equation of generosity, um, having the giver and having the receiver. So they are now being put in the position of, of asking for help. And um, what is that process like for them as they're requesting help and seeking um, the fund for, for vocations to help them with their student loan issues so they can pursue their vocation? That is a really interesting question. And I know that you're going to be speaking um, later in the podcast series to some of our grant recipients. And as much as any of your other listeners, I will be very interested to hear what the grant recipients say that the process is like from their, their own perspective. But speaking from, um, you know, again, to use business vocabulary from the supply side, mm -hmm. <laughs> I would characterize um, our application process as super thorough. And, um, you know, I can well imagine putting myself in their shoes that when they go to the website and read all of the instructions and download the application packet, that they might think, this is going to take me the rest of eternity to fill this stuff out. But um, there's, there's several, I mean, it's not by accident. It's not because we're the sort of people who just live for <laughs> tedious paperwork by any means. But the Fund for Vocations exists to do a very specific job. 
And so, for example, the only thing that we um, provide grants for is relief for student loan debt. We're very aware that um, people have other kinds of debt and that they're legitimate, you know, to, uh, for most people in most communities, unless you live in an urban center with a good subway, to, to have a job, you need to get to that job, and that means you need a car, and that means you need a car loan. And no judgment, we get that. We don't make grants to pay off your car loan. Um, signature loans, personal loans, credit card debt, all of these things, there's valid reasons to take them on, but we really only exist to do this one thing, which is student loan debt. So there's an elaborate explanation about what, what we exist to do and why. And if you have other kinds of debt and you can't pay it off, please don't stop right now. Go, do not pass go. Do not collect a, a Montero Ecclesia Fund for Vocations Grant. Right. So in addition to that, um, we don't make grants so that you can join, say, Opus Dei or the Third Order Dominicans mm -hmm. or, you know, other kinds of, of holy life. We really only exist for people who are entering vowed religious life in communities where they're not going to be earning personal income. So there are all of these, I think, um, wishes and misconceptions that people might have about how we work. And we really need them to just, we really need them to read the instructions. We really need them to not waste their time or hours if, if um, we're not the solution to the particular problem that they have. So there's, and, and we do ask them to, you know, there's, there's somebody who will answer the phone if they have a particular question. But if it's something that is in the application packet, we really ask them to take the time and read it because there's, in any given year, there's dozens of them and there's one of us. There's Catherine Huber um, sitting alone in her office, manning the phones, processing the applications, doing all of that stuff. So if there is an administrative burden, and there is, we feel that it's, it's just actually that um, the, the people seeking the grants, because there are so many of them, be the ones to take the time to, to read the applications and fill it out completely. And then there's also, um, how shall I say, there's, there's things that you can do to improve your chances. And we spell all of that out re in, in great detail as well. Part of it is make, make your monthly loans, make your monthly payment as small as you can get it. There's lots of different ways that you can structure your student debt payments. Um, some people correctly want to pay as little as interest impossible. So they'll compress the term of the loan. They'll take a smaller interest rate with heavier monthly payments. That's going to decrease your chances with us. So we, we, tell, we explain in great detail what we do, what we don't do, how you're eligible, how you're not eligible, and then once you establish eligibility, all of the things that you can do to improve your chances. And then we also want to hear, um, you know, beyond the, the math of it and beyond the mechanics of it, we want to hear your vocation story. We want to hear why you're drawn to this life in the first place. So um, I, like I say, I'll be very interested to hear from the grant recipients of ours that you interview how long it took them to fill it out and um, how hard or easy or satisfying or intimidating or whatever the case may be. But I will also say this, we talked in the earlier episode about, to my mind, the scandalous ease with which an 18 year old with no lawyer present can sign up for tens of thousands of dollars of debt with just the stroke of a pen. 
So um, I find it one of those ironies of life that it's so easy to get yourself in debt with the student loan industrial complex. And so it's difficult to get a grant from the little Mater Ecclesia Fund for Vocations out by itself in the middle of nowhere in rural Virginia. Now that's so true. And I, I used to volunteer with a nonprofit organization that would help service members, not with student loan debt, but with, um, uh, with other forms of, of debt and uh, living expenses. And I'm sure our process was different, but there's still the same level of work that goes into right. it. So um, yeah, it's so interesting. It's so quick. You can make that decision so quick to get into debt, but getting out is a whole a different process, yep. a whole different thing. And it's, yep. if it's filling out a form or spending 30 years making monthly payments, I, I think the form is probably the easier. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's also, there's also in behavioral economics, not to pull us too far off the path, but mm -hmm. there's in behavioral economics, something called the pain of pain. And I, mm -hmm. and um, if, for example, um, your, I don't know, your taxes, for example, get automatically deducted, you, you don't miss what you never see. Mm -hmm. So, so if, if you can, if, if, if you make it too easy for people to take on debt or to make payments, they'll do more of it. And I personally, as somebody who's self-employed and has been for many years, the way that I pay my taxes is I sit down and I write a big fat check every quarter and I see the money that's going out the door. And I deeply believe that if everybody had to pay their taxes that way, we would have a completely different, better form of government. I truly believe that. And similarly, the sting, the sting of it. And similarly, I believe <laughs> that if people had to work as hard to get the loan as they have to do to get the grant, we would have a much different student loan situation. I agree with that for sure. If it was more challenging, people would be like, oh, forget it. Not worth yeah. it. <laughs> no, I'm not going through that, that, that work to get the loan. I'll just get a but, job. Like, good. Yeah, exactly. I'll just work. I'll just get a part time job that I enjoy doing, right? Right, exactly. It sounds like it's a, a detailed process, which I think I love procedures and rules. It sounds like it's a, a detailed process. And I'm, I'm sure there's a specific reason why you guys have designed it that way. Can you kind of explain a little bit more as to why the process is designed the way that it is? And also maybe explain the logic of um, the canon law, what ha that has to do with it for people who are not familiar with that kind of what role that plays in all of this. Sure. So, um, you know, apologies if this gets too inside baseball or technical or tedious or boring. But um, the thing to keep in mind when I launch into this elaborate explanation is that all of it is ordered toward our objective, which is getting as many young men and women into formation as quickly as possible, as many as possible, as quickly as possible. We don't take it upon ourselves to decide who does and does not have a valid vocation. That's not our job. That, that's, you know, we kind of stay in our lane. So we only look, we only ever look at people who have already been accepted into um, a valid religious vocation. But of that subset of already qualified accepted applicants, again, the goal is as many as possible, as quickly as possible. So that means we look not at the overall indebtedness, but at the monthly payment. So just to take a hypothetical, I'm just making up numbers here, but let's say, for example, that um, in any year we had three applicants and two of them had debt loads of 50,000 total. And um, but they accepted higher interest rates or longer loan terms or whatever. And so their monthly payments were two hundred dollars each. And then we had another person whose debt load, whose total debt load was only twenty five. But that person 
you know, wanted to pay it off as quickly as possible. And so pays $500 a month, but it's going to be over sooner. We would, even though best practices, if, if we were just looking at it as a, as a personal finance project, of course, you want to feel the pain. Um, you want to feel a more intense pain and get it over with faster. You want to, you know, seriously, you want to pay less interest and bigger monthly payments, lower interest for a shorter term, get this debt over with. But for our particular purposes, if we take on the two kids, excuse my calling them kids, it's just easier. If we take on, if we take on the two kids whose payment is 200 each, that's $400 that we have to come up with every month and we can get two kids into formation mm -hmm. instead of one kid for 500 a month. So we'll, sit, we'll make two grants to the $200 a month kids and tell the, the $500 a month kid to go restructure his or her loan, to go back mm -hmm. to the lender and you know, restructure it so that their monthly payment is less. So that's what we do. We take over the monthly payments while the person is in formation. And we do that for a couple of, and that means that the lower your monthly nut, the better your chances of getting a grant for us from us. And we do that for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, so that we, again, the goal is as many as possible, as quickly as possible, but also We've heard from, if we paid off, even, even in a perfect world where we had unlimited resources, even if we could just say, here's a check for 25,000, your debt's gone. We wouldn't do that even if we had the money, which not so incidentally, we don't. But even if we did, we wouldn't do it that way because we have heard from across the board, from grant recipients themselves, from vocations directors, from novice masters and novice mistresses, that just taking the pressure off is what these kids need. If you paid off the whole, the whole thing all at one whack, they would feel a subtle but a powerful sense of obligation to persevere in this vocation, even if they knew that it really wasn't where they belonged. And there's no shame in, in figuring that out, by the way. There's a reason that formation lasts seven years on average. It's a big decision, and there's a lot of what we would call false positives. People who think that their vocation is to a particular way of life or a particular community, when actually they really belong in a different community or in married life. But if, if they know that, ah, I kind of feel like this vocation isn't really where God's calling me, but somebody paid $50,000 for me to be here. I can't leave now. Mm. That's terrible. That's terrible for the person. It's terrible for the community. It's terrible for the mystical body of Christ, for people to have to be stuck or to feel themselves stuck in places where they don't really belong. So the way that we operate is if you discern back out, no harm, no foul, you don't have to pay us back what we will have been paying on your behalf every month, but the balance due, the corpus, the remaining corpus of the loan goes back mm. onto you. So it's a complicated business model because in any given year, we don't know who's going to discern back out again. Of the out discerners, we don't know how lightly or heavily indebted they're going to be. Basically, running the fund for vocations is like trying to solve an equation that's all variables. <laughs> we, don't <know. laughs> we, don't know what our, we don't know what our income is going to be because we don't know how many donors we're going to have, what their life situation is, how generous they can afford to be or you know, can't afford to be. We don't know who's going to come to us, how heavily indebted they be. We don't know who's going to discern back out and how lightly or heavily indebted they're going to be. We just kind of trust that the Holy Spirit who has led us this far 
unfailingly to date is going to guide our paths and is going to guide our feet in the right path. And what we do know is that if we keep our eye on what we're trying to do, which is not, by the way, make things administratively easier for ourselves. <laughs> this isn't about how hard or easy it is for us to manage. It isn't about us at all. It's about vocations. And so if we just keep our eye on that ball and say, no, 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 wait, hold it. Leave aside how complicated it is. Leave aside all other considerations. What we're trying to do as many as possible, as quickly as possible and let all the decisions be guided by that overarching objective. Because it's easy enough for the, again, sorry, it's easy enough for the kids to restructure their loans so that the monthly payments are lower. If they make it all the way to final vows, it's easy enough for us who then own that loan to restructure it, to just pay it off and be done with it. Once we know that, okay, they're not gonna discern back out again, they're in final vows. Or if they do discern back out, it's easy enough for them to restructure to make it um, you know, more of a fast payoff. But for the time that they're in formation and we're responsible for their loans, the smallest, as many as possible of as small monthly payment loans as possible. Again, I told you it was tedious, I warned you, but, <laughs> but, but there's, it's important. It's, it's tedious and yet important. The way that, that we've decided um, to structure the business model as complicated as it is, is actually done for really valid reasons, which again, boil down to as many as possible, as quickly as possible. And I love that that's your overarching decision maker and, and that yep. it makes a lot of sense. And yeah, you're saying it's based on all these variables. You're not only dealing with structuring a business model, you're dealing with canon law, which is yep. intricate and you know, it's, it's, can be very nuanced. And then you're also dealing with IRS tax law right, and right, exactly. everything else that goes into that, which we won't even go into right now, but that adds a whole nother level of variability, um, which is, it's really interesting, but yeah, it seems like the, the Holy Spirit's been with you and, and the fun for vocations because I can't even wrap my mind around dealing with those, <laughs> those variables. And you guys are doing, obviously doing amazing work and you're helping aspirants and and, um, you know, just helping them with their process and, and just taking, like you said, that, that little bit of stress off and that load off so they can focus on discerning. Right. And, exactly. Um, right. Yeah. It's just awesome. And we spoke last week and we spent some time talking about what someone can do to, um, minimize their student debt load from the point where they're deciding to take on debt or not, um, and, and going through that process before the discernment even starts, or you know, maybe it's during, but while they're pursuing school and, and taking out loans and everything else they're doing. Um, so can we speak to that again with a little bit of a different twist on this, um, knowing that you may be hitting the ears of a future aspirant? Um, do you have any other insight or any other information that you want to add on to our discussion last week as to what they can do to minimize that student debt load? and um, things they can keep in mind as they're paying for their education that is necessary. Um, but um, yeah, we can help them before this becomes a problem to alleviate the, the need so much for the fun publications. Sure, I don't mind, not at all do I mind. It's my mission in life to keep <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh. We not just for years talking about this. <laughs> I know, I know. Not just, you know, not just, um, Obviously, my main motivation is to ensure healthy vocations for the church, but also um, even just in the world to to reduce the sense that 
that we seem to have arrived at as a culture that it's somehow normal to saddle 22 year olds with hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt. It's really not. And so um, what I would say to any young person getting ready to graduate from high school and thinking about college, just as I mentioned earlier that everything that the fund for vocations does um, in the words of that Ted talk guy, Simon Sinek, start with why, why are you doing what you do? And once you get super clear about in the fund for vocations case, it's as, as many as possible, as quickly as possible. The flip side of that is if you're graduating from high school and you're thinking about um, how to pay for college, start with why, why are you going to college? a shocking number of 18 year olds don't really have a good answer to that mm -hmm. question. Maybe, I'm not sure how big a cohort this is of the total number of 18 year olds who decide to go into college, but maybe it's a genuine love of learning for learning's sake. Maybe it's a true vocation to a life of the mind. And if that's the case, think about a way to pursue a life of the mind that doesn't involve tens of thousands of dollars worth of debt. There are non-name brand liberal arts colleges you can go to, um, especially private ones. You can actually negotiate the sticker price down, which came, I, I might add, as a surprise to me that you can negotiate tuition, but, but you can in the private, in, uh, not at the state run schools, but at the private schools, they're, they're open to, you know, make me an offer, throw out a number, <laughs> are we buying a used car here? What's going on? But that's actually an option. Also, if you're a genuine scholar, you almost certainly qualify for grants, for obscure scholarships that you've never even heard of before that exist and that you can get. So make it your business. Again, this is for the subset of, of young people who have decided that what, they, what they're in it for is learning for learning's sake. Make it your business to sniff out and unearth all of that free money that's lying around that you don't know about, as if you were one of those truffle finding pigs that they have in France, like dig them out and find the truffle and take it home. So that's, so that's if you're one of the people who have a genuine vocation to the life of the mind, find a place that doesn't land you scandalously in debt, find all of the free money that you can get, only debt finance what you absolutely have to. And that number is gonna be smaller than you think. And furthermore, at least you won't be doing it mindlessly. You'll know why you're going into debt and you'll have a clear answer to the question of why am I doing this? Then let's say that, that you, that's not, you're not really a scholar and you know, no shame in that. There's all, it takes all kinds of different people to make the world. Maybe what you're thinking about um, college for is that you've read all of the studies and you know that the lifelong earning potential is dramatically higher if you have an undergraduate degree than if you don't, than if you only have high school. And that's, that's not wrong. But that said, it matters if that undergraduate degree is in say chemical engineering and you graduate debt-free or if it's in underwater basket weaving and you graduate tens of thousands, tens of thousands of dollars in debt, the math is going to be really, the math is going to look really different about the, the, the delta in earning potential is going to be deeply affected by what your degree is in and how much it costs you to get it. So do the math, build the Excel 
populate the formulas and play around with them. What is my, what's the delta for earning potential if my degree is in this versus if it's in that? Because maybe you're thinking about different majors. And you know, also bear in mind that the job market is gonna look different when you graduate than from when you matriculate. It's gonna look different when you're 15 years into your career than when you just started. So there's some variables that you can't really quantify, but the ones that you can, do the math. And if doing the math puts you off, if you're like, I don't wanna do that math or I don't know how to do that math, okay, but don't kid yourself that the reason you're going to college is because of this higher earning potential. If it's really about the money, then do the math. And then finally, there's, you know, there's quite a, a large cohort, I would venture to guess, of kids graduating from high school who are going to go to college because that's what you do. That's the next step on the path. It's like 13th grade. And 13th grade is okay if mom and dad are paying for it or if you're getting a full ride from someplace or whatever. But 13th grade, because it's just like you're mindlessly doing it because that's what you do, Think twice and then think a third time about whether taking that next step, because that's what you do, makes sense if you can't do it without going tens of thousands of dollars into debt. Think about, you know, there's, there's a big fashion now toward a gap year. And I think in some ways, the, in a lot of uh, uh, imaginations, the gap year is basically a resume stuffer of doing, you know, I don't know, teaching soccer in Argentina or something like that. But, um, and you know, those can be a trap too, especially if you have, if it's an unpaid internship kind of thing where you have to borrow money just to pay rent or, or live your life. But if you can do a gap year that really is about figuring out your purpose, about figuring out not just whether to go to college, but if you decide to go to college, why? Think about, you know, 18 is also really young to be completely independent. So think about getting an apartment in your hometown, like, not like living with mom and dad, because that doesn't, that doesn't help you be independent if you're still living with mom and dad. But think about getting some rat hole apartment in your hometown that, you, that mom and dad don't pay for. Maybe you share with some other kids who are trying to figure out their why um, and work for a year and figure out, you know, I still don't know why I want to go to college or even if I do or figure out, yes, now I know I don't want to, I don't want the kind of job that you can get that doesn't require college. I don't like this, this, I don't like living in, um, sleeping on a futon and never having any money. Like college does make sense for me. And now I'm prepared to do the math or to, um, you know, run the numbers and figure out what exactly I'm doing, but just don't, don't go to 13th grade if 13th grade costs $10,000 and that you have to borrow to pay. And, um, you know, finally, think about if, it, if you do decide that you want to go to college and you do decide that it's ultimately about the higher earning potential, then again, your task is to figure out how to make that happen with as little debt as possible. My own home state of Virginia, for example, has a program where if you go to a community college and maintain a certain GPA, you're guaranteed admission to a public university. Having a four-year degree, and, you're, and that's where you get your degree from. So if your four-year degree says Uni University of Virginia, Nobody cares if the first two years were at Northern Virginia Community College. What they care about is that the degrees from UVA. So that's a, that's a fantastic way to get a very marketable, let's say, um, undergraduate degree 
at probably less than half the cost of going to Charlottesville for the whole four years. That's so awesome. I love the idea of, of finding your why. I think that's a huge motivator. If you know why you're doing anything, but especially it, yep. going into tons of debt, like it's a, it makes you think about it twice. So that's a really good piece of advice. Um, yeah, find your why and then move on, move forward from there. But so I thank guess you for the, sharing that advice with us. Sure, sure. And the main piece of advice is resist the cultural message that being in debt is normal. If find somebody, maybe your parents aren't great with money. You know, I know a lot of people who don't, my parents happen to have been really, they were financial professionals and they were just kind of common sense people, but not everybody has those parents. So maybe your parents aren't the ones who are good negotiators, for example, who, who aren't the people that you want at your side when you're at a private university saying, uh, so how's 5,000 a semester instead of eight? Maybe your parents aren't that papal. Maybe they aren't great money managers either. Find the auntie or the uncle or the next door neighbor. Find some trusted adult in your life who's good with money and take their advice. But don't, don't swallow the bill of goods that we've all been sold, that it's normal to graduate from college $80,000 in debt. And I have to say, I just love what you said. You said, if it's really about the money, then do the math. Yeah. It's so important that you, you, yeah, you put the work and you put the thought and the prayer into taking on this debt because you're committing your future self and you're yep. committing your future time um, to a debt load and saddling yourself. And I just, yeah, I feel like that's something we should encourage is prayerfully taking on debt and doing the math. Yep. Um, that's just, it's, it's eye-opening. And I think we get to the point too, where the numbers are so large for some of these kids, it may as well, you know, what's, 10,000 versus 100,000 versus a million. The numbers are so big. <laughs> right, exactly. And, yeah, and when you do the math and see it in Excel spreadsheet form, you see what that monthly payment would look like. Um, I, I feel like that can be a little bit more eye-opening to someone than just having this big astronomical number that eh, it's just going to be there forever, you know? So, so the other side of the equation that people don't ever really seem to, to talk about when they do the math is not just to your point that numbers, especially when, you know, you've lived a typical American teenage life where you're sheltered from the reality of money, um, 10,000 versus a hundred thousand versus a million are just like big numbers. Like it's just, yeah a big stack of money within a bigger stack of money. But what nobody ever really talks to you about is the opportunity costs. You can yeah. take on this amount of debt if you don't care about ever buying a house, if you don't care about getting married, if you don't care about um, pursuing any little dream that you might have. Let's talk about not just what you're paying, but what you're not going to be able to have. Mm. And that changes people's thinking. Sure does. Well, I know that I have been thoroughly inspired by you and I wish that I could write you a big fat check right now and send it and help all the, the young adults trying to get into a religious life. Um, so I'm sure that there's other listeners that are like me that are ready to serve and want, want to know how can they help. So if someone is listening and, and they're, they're eager to try and, and help your fund for vocations or just help in general, what is a, a great starting place for them if they're ready and eager and willing to, to make some kind of active service or act generosity for the fund for vocations? Oh, thank you so much for asking that question. So um, first, not to bury the lead, first thing and most important, never underestimate the power of prayer. You know, like the Tennyson poem, more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. Pray for the fund for vocations. Pray for the young men and women who are discerning vocations to religious life. Pray for the generosity of our donors and that new donors come forward 
If you can afford to make a donation to the fund for for excuse me, if you can afford to make a donation to the fund for vocations, please do it. The website is fundforvocations.org. You can send us a check. You can donate online. Another thing that really helps a lot is the sustainer circle. I mentioned earlier that everything in the fund for vocations is like trying to solve an equation that's all variables. We never know how much money we're going to have coming in the door. We never know what our expenses are going to be. We, ne we know that our expenses are going to change, but we never know how or in which direction. <laughs> it's just all sort of stepping out in faith every day. The um, regular monthly donations are the one um, solid rock that we can stand on. And honestly, it's much more helpful to us to get a monthly um, donation even of $10 a month than it is to get a one-time gift of $150. The one-time gift of, of $150 is $30 to the good but we can't count on it. I mean, we'd love to have it, it's great to have, but knowing that that $10 is gonna come in every month, you know, times the number of, of or $20 a month. I myself am a $100 a month giver to the sustainer circle. Um, anything that we know that any X that we can solve for in, in the uh, mm -hmm. equation of the fund for vocations really helps. So please, if you're out there listening and um, you can make a, you can join the sustainer circle at any degree of monthly giving. It's a gigantic help. If you can make a one-time gift, that's a big help too. Everybody can pray, please do, with all the fervor and earnestness at your command and um, accept our thanks. It's, you know, the other thing too is um, it really is the apostolate of the whole church. It really is every vocation that we, that we enable is a gift to Christ's church from all the lay faithful. And the more you can participate in it, the more graces abound. I've definitely found that to be true in my own life. Implying behavioral finance and behavioral economics to the apostle and all these things that we're doing. And yeah, something like the sustainer circle, because we were talking earlier about writing the check to the IRS, and there's a little sting. But when you do something like that and you have a monthly donation, the sting's not so much there, but the benefit is there. Exactly. It's so exactly. It's using the behavioral finance and behavioral economics to grow the church. So let's let's use, you know, the way our brains are wired and right. not swim upstream so much. Um, exactly. Doing the good the good work that we need to be doing. So exactly. Let your giving be on autopilot and your payments mm -hmm. sting. <laughs> there you go. I'm gonna pull that out for a quote, Anne. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today. We're, we're so blessed to have you and um, we're just excited for the ears that this is going to hit and, and the work this is going to do um, and hopefully get the word out about those who can donate to your ministry um, because you're doing such great work. It, this is phenomenal. It's such a pleasure to speak with you all. I just, I can't tell you what joy it is for me. And, you know, like you, I also hope um, that good will come out of it, that young people listening will think, wow, there really is hope out there. Also, I should have said the Fund for Vocations has um, very inspiring vocation stories. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, every so often when I'm feeling, when I just can't take another day of quarantine and when I feel really separate from, from the life of the church because we're cut off from the sacraments at the moment, I just read vocation stories and it, it lifts my spirits. So know that that resource is out there too. Oh, thank you so much, Anne. And 
yeah, we're, we're looking forward to um, speaking with someone who's benefited from the Fund for Vocations, um, and we'll do that in a future podcast, but you've been a blessing and we're, we're grateful for you. Thank you so much, both of you. For more information about Compass Catholic Ministries, including the various Bible studies and services that we offer, please visit compasscatholic.org. If you enjoy Money Stories, please share it with a friend. You may also like Compass Catholic's other podcast, Manage Your Money God's Way, available wherever you get your podcast. If you have any comments about today's show or suggestions for future shows, please email us at info at compasscatholic.org. Thanks for listening and God bless.